Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. You think about it, uh, friendship is the foundation of a really good marriage. You want to be good friends. And if you're not playing together, are you really friends? You know? <laughs> That's Dr. Marcus Warner, and he's our guest today on Focus on the Family, along with his co-author, Chris Corsi. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Here at Focus, uh, we talk about marriage quite a bit, John. We do. It's a good thing, and uh, we want your marriage to be the best it could possibly be, and you can have that kind of marriage. I'm talking about the resources, the tools, all the things here at Focus we're trying to equip you with so you can practice a good marriage. Somebody said the other day to me, you know, we spend a lot of time, uh, you know, getting a license to do something or working hard vocationally, but we really don't put, unfortunately, a lot of work into our marriage. And I think uh, it's a good reminder that if you don't do that, it'll wither and sometimes die. So we want to plow that good ground around that plant of marriage, feed it, nurture it. Sometimes I do that well, sometimes I don't do that well. And today, we want to be able to talk about the tools that you need to do it better. You know, in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians, it says, rejoice always. And sometimes in marriage, and certainly in other relationships, it can be a challenge. Uh, You know, the joy sucking occurs rather than the joy fountain. And uh, today, we want to give you some tools to cultivate that spirit of joy in your marriage. Dr. Marcus Warner and uh, Chris Corsi will help us do that. Uh, Dr. Warner is the president of Deeper Walk International. Uh, He and his wife, Brenda, have two adult children. And Chris is an ordained minister and pastoral counselor. And he and his wife, Jen, have two young boys. And uh, together, these men wrote The Four Habits of Joy-Filled Marriages. And, of course, we have that here at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash broadcast. Marcus and Chris, welcome to Focus on the Family. Thank you. It's yeah. good to be here. Okay, I've already got the ringing endorsement of my wife, Jean, because we were looking <laughs> at the book and the content this morning early when I was prepping for the show. She went, wow, this is good stuff. So for all the wives listening, at least you have Jean's stamp of approval on what we're about to talk about. Uh, that's our best endorsement. <laughs> yes, so it is. So we'll take that. <laughs> I think it's because she wants to put a few of these things into practice, is my mm. guess, <laughs> for me to be able to do these things. But, uh, you know, so often we look at the purpose of marriage, and some marriages, I'm sure, they shake their heads at times, the people in those marriages thinking, Lord, why did you create marriage like this? And the interesting thing, it typically, if not always, points back to us, because what the Lord is trying to do, I think, in the institution of marriage and what he created is to make us more like him by making us more selfless, mm-hmm. um, you know, giving yourself to another person. Yeah. And uh, the big question is, now, how do you find joy in that thing that does not come to the uh, human nature, the fleshly nature, so easily? Where do we find joy in that? No, that's a great uh, question because a lot of times we forget that we we usually we get married because we're convinced we'll have more joy with this person and without them, and so it's <laughs> is a that great, a fog by the way I, early well, on is that just a fog or what's happening? Yeah, it's because we're having so much joy. It's like this is yeah, it's like this is so great. There's all this energy. You're really looking forward to the next time you're going to see the person. Um, what we've also found is that uh, brain science has shown us that joy is far more fundamental to the human experience than we've made it. Too many of us have treated joy like it's the icing on the cake of life instead of that it is actually the fuel on which life is meant to run. Yeah, let me ask you this question because I, that's a great point because so often we feel like we're waiting for joy. 
Like mm-hmm. we're at the fountain. Okay, is it going to happen? Mm-hmm. We just went to Yellowstone, saw Old Faithful. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that moment, right? You're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting, and boom, there it is, joy. Is that what we do too often in marriage? Instead of cultivating it, we're waiting for a circumstance definitely to dictate that joy? Definitely. We're waiting, we're hoping, we're praying, and we just sometimes wish that God would just zap us with a full bottle of joy. And, and many times, it's, it's kind of like Adam and Eve had to tend the garden. Um, you know, we have to tend the garden of our marriages to, yeah. to really sustain those but joy levels. What's critical about that, I want to make sure we're hearing that, that it's not – it can be, but it's not exclusively an external thing, yeah. that joy comes from within, too, and that's probably the most sustainable. We should probably define what we mean by yeah. joy because people are all over the place on that. And Did for, it? For us, on a, from a uh, brain perspective, right, that is that you're – you know, we have the right side and the left side of the brain – Joy is a right brain experience. Now, our choosing and our thinking are on the left side of the brain. So a lot of us are trying to think our way into joy and choose our way into joy. But really, joy is this reaction that we have to being with somebody. So a lot of times when it happens in marriages, I'm waiting for the other person to make me joyful instead of doing the things that cause us to be happy to be together. In other words, so what we're doing in joy is we're looking for more and more reasons to be happy together, more and more ways to be happy together. And uh, so from a brain science perspective, it is always a relational word. Okay, that's good. And we're going to get to that throughout the program. Let me move to something you call the joy gap. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now that we've had the positive side of it, (laughs) I was thinking joy gap. Gene got it right away. (laughs) I know exactly what they're talking about. What's this joy gap? Well, the joy gap is simply the length of time between moments of shared joy. So for some couples, it's like hours, you know, between. And if you've got, if you're measuring your joy gap in hours, you've got a really good marriage. (laughs) If you are measuring your, you know, the last time we shared joy together was like a month ago, there are some problems here. So the gap is how long has it been since we were both experiencing joy from being together? Now, do you and, and Brenda have – your wife, Brenda, do you have an example? She's here, yeah. And, <laughs> Come on uh, so in, Brenda. You were going to ask her. <laughs> exactly. She <laughs> told what's me an to example? say it. She told me to say it's ours. No, what's, a safe, no, we're good. what's a safe story that you could share as an example of this, something uh, in your marriage, maybe where you struggled, the joy gap Yeah, example. well, we got partway into our marriage and realized that we had a huge joy gap. And it was one of those things where I was oblivious to it because I was kind of a workaholic pastor. And uh, I thought everything was fine because as long as there wasn't a flaring mess, I figured our marriage was fine. And then, so you were managing. I was managing the marriage, but then I realized was that she was actually withering away from this lack of joy because joy is the fuel on which the marriage runs. And so, if Mm. there isn't enough joy going on there, she's going to feel like she's not important to me. She's and she's and our marriage is actually withering, and I'm not. Uh, aware of it. So we realized we need to do some things. I mean, you know, this is the basic things that you are always told, like start date nights. Well, we did date nights, but we would have fights on our date nights, you know, because <laughs> that's very so, honest. I yeah, appreciate you know, that. Because we, it, it was, uh, we hadn't spent enough time really doing the, the kind of habits we talk about in this book that you need to develop in order to for things like that to be successful. It's always good when authors write from their experiences. Yes, That's a is. good thing. Um, you also mentioned a term called the joy bucket. Well, the joy bucket is a is a very specific part of your brain. It's called the uh, right orbital prefrontal cortex. So I like joy fancy. bucket. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> fancy. Hence yep. the uh, terminology. Uh, basically, this part of the brain is fascinating. It's the part of the brain we would identify as me. 
And that is when I say I am doing this, I feel this, I am you know, reacting, this is the part of the brain I self-identify as my identity center. It's also my joy center. And so what happens is that the larger the capacity for joy, the larger my capacity to act like myself. Huh. Which is a lot of ramifications for a whole lot of things. But in marriage, the uh, ability to stay myself even when I'm in pain is incredibly important because if if there's pain in my marriage and that pain makes me overwhelms my capacity for joy, my joy bucket can't handle that much pain. I will turn into somebody else, and I will go from acting like a friend to you to acting like an enemy to you. Wow, and that's so it, powerful. Yeah, it yeah. just changes everything. And so I need a big enough joy bucket to be able to absorb the level of pain that's going on in the marriage. And if those things get out of proportion, there's just way more pain than there is joy in my marriage, things are going to start tipping and going south. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, Marcus, you have this acrostic uh, where you relate the on and off switch in the back of our head. Now, I, I'm going to say it again. So men... Listen to this. Yeah. Women get this gene lit up on this when it said, yes, this is so true. Right. So what is that acrostic? The acrostic is cake, right? <laughs> I say, love that. Yeah. Well, it's, it, I designed <laughs> it for men, right? We can who remember. doesn't like cake, right? It's like, this is a piece of cake to have a better re- marriage. So the uh, idea here is that um, the on-off switch in your brain means that on the right side of your brain are most of the relational circuitry. And the idea here is that when my relational circuitry is functioning and everything is going well, it's easy for me to act like myself. It's easy for me to stay engaged. You know, we can, it, it goes well. But if something happens and the switch goes off, I, uh, my relational circuits, when they shut down, I stop acting like myself. I turn into a different person. All of a sudden, I don't feel like I want to be with you. So cake helps us analyze if I, how I can tell that my circuits have gone off. Okay, good. All right, so the first one is curiosity, and that is I lose my curiosity about you. And the main reason that I lose my curiosity about you is that I think I have you all figured out, right? So if I think I've got you all figured I know why you're having this emotion. I know why you're making this decision. I know why you're being the way you all, because you always do this and you never do this. So I have no curiosity about you. I don't like cake anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It rings true. That is so true. It is. I mean, you tap out. You do. You think you know it all. That's exactly what happens. Boy, men, listen to this. So when your switch goes off, you lose curiosity. If you want to get your relational circuits back on so that you act like yourself, you stay relationally engaged, you have to disconnect briefly, find some curiosity, and re-engage with that curiosity. Now, there is a counterfeit form of curiosity to avoid, and that's called sarcasm, Mm -hmm. right? You don't Mm -hmm. say, so I'm curious, are you always this stupid? That is not, you know. Correct. (laughs) And men are, again, I'm I'm being stereotypical, but we tend to fall that way. We do. We can become very cutting. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have curiosity. We haven't finished our cake. No, you want to walk them through some of this? Um, Yeah, so appreciation. So one of the wonderful um, skills and habits that we can practice is just thinking about the good stuff. So if my relational switch is off, I'm not enjoying being with my wife at this moment. I'm upset because my feelings are hurt or whatever it is. Then I can think about, well, what is it I do enjoy about my wife? Or what are some of the gifts that God's given us recently that I can be thankful for? So just taking a few moments to you know, focus on the good stuff. What was great about your week? What was good from your day? What interaction was life-giving? And that actually helps to activate the switch. Okay, good. So that you shift so back. So curiosity and appreciation. appreciation and, and what's next? Kindness. And that is when my circuits go off, I don't feel like being kind to you. Right. I feel like <laughs> I feel like avoiding you. I feel like you just leaving would be a good thing. I feel like uh, 
being a little snarky would be a good idea right now. I just don't feel like being kind. And so that is a sign that these circuits have gone off. Mm. Because when my circuits are on and I'm acting like myself, I'm a kind person. So I need to recognize that. And then the last one is eye contact. You know, so a lot of times my wife will say to me, would you, you know, look at me, you know, look at me. And I'm like, you know, I'd rather not. You yeah. Know? <laughs> you know, and that's a sign that my yeah. circuits are off. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. What's the best thing you could leave behind? I don't know. Habits, maybe. I'd like to leave behind broccoli. One of the best things you could leave behind is a legacy. Focus on the Family invites you to leave a legacy gift in your estate plan. It can reduce the burden of taxes on your family, and it will make a better legacy for families around the world. To find out more or to notify us of a legacy gift, just visit FocusPlannedGiving.com. That's FocusPlannedGiving.com. If the fights with your spouse have become unbearable, if you feel like you can't take it anymore, there's still hope. Hope Restored Marriage Intensives have helped thousands of couples like yours. Our biblically-based counseling will help you find the root of your problems and face them together. Call us at 1-866-875-2915. We'll talk with you, pray with you, and help you find out which program will work best. That's 1-866-875-2915. This is Focus on the Family with Jim Daly, and our guests today are Marcus Warner and Chris Corsi, and they've written this great book, The Four Habits of Joy-Filled Marriages. And uh, you're going to want to get a copy so you can revisit the concepts we've touched on already, which include Joy Gap, Joy Bucket, and Cake, right? I mean, so uh, get a copy from <laughs> us here at Focus on the Family. Not a number, cake. Well. You can't get a cake from no, Focus. No, you can't. <laughs> Good clarification. Yeah. Uh, get a copy of the book, The Four Habits of Joy-Filled Marriages, when you call 800, the letter A, and the word family. What about the narrative engine, and how does it affect us? And I want a story from you. So how have you personally experienced this? So narrative engine, basically, now we're moving from the right side of our brain, where all the nonverbal relational circuitry is, over to the left side of the brain, which is the part of my brain that is really good at analysis and problem-solving and storytelling. So it's the part of my brain that is weaving a narrative together as to why does this keep happening. So what happens is if my relational circuits are on, I will literally tell myself a different narrative than when my relational circuits are off. So like if my circuits go off, it's like, that's when I go into my, you know, it's like we have uh, some kind of a fight, we're upset with each other, I go into the next room and I go into what I call my man cave in the back of my head. And I am just like going, why does she always do this? Why doesn't she ever treat me like this? Why doesn't, you know, when is she going to get this right? And I hit, and, and what I'm doing is I'm rehearsing the narrative that justifies the emotion that I'm feeling. Mm. And so if I'm going to break out of that emotion, I'm going to have to change that narrative. So I've got to realize, no, that, isn't, that narrative isn't always true. It's, it only feels true when I feel like this. And so trying to get – sometimes getting your relational circuits back on actually helps you change that narrative and get back to a, a healthier narrative about the so other So if we person. brought Brenda in here, what story would she bring to the table of when that, that was a, a matter for you to discuss? <laughs> All right. So a classic one – I think we even have this in the book – was uh, there was one time where uh, I could tell my relational circuits went off because I would just shut down, right? And I would just stop talking. And, uh, and we would be in the middle of a fight, and I would just sh- be quiet. And so she's sitting on the bed, I'm sitting on the couch, and she looks at me, and normally, 
she would say, we got to talk about this. We got to talk. And uh, this time she looked at me and she said, is it okay if I come and sit next to you? And I just shrugged my shoulders because I was not talking. <laughs> and uh, she sat next to me and then she looked at me and she said, is it okay if I hold your hand? And I looked at her. I said, you're really not good at this fighting this stuff, are you? And <laughs> I said, okay, you can hold my hand. And as soon as she did, it was like I could just feel this whoosh inside of, okay, all of a sudden this on-off switch popped back on, my relational circus came back on, and all of a sudden I realized I like this person, and uh, we could talk about our problem now relationally because both of us had our relational circus on. Mm -hmm. If we talked about that problem when I was still had it off, I would have just, you know, been living out of this narrative instead of but by getting our relational circuits reconnected and getting reengaged with each other, a different narrative took over. I'm like, no, I want this relationship to work. I want this problem to get solved. And we were able to uh, handle it totally differently. And but in that, that context, if I can add, yeah. Chris, you can bounce off yeah. of this, but it sounds like you got to react almost opposite of what your emotions are telling you to do. Yeah, exactly. That Part takes discipline. Well, it, it also took – but it largely took getting the circuits back on because what I found is that when my circuits are off, I do turn into a different person. Right. And I will treat my wife like an enemy instead of treating her like a friend. Mm. But when I, And it's as simple as getting the circuits back on and all of a sudden I don't feel like treating her like an enemy anymore. I, wanna, I now want our relationship to be bigger than the problem. And so she, what she did was helping me get there. So tying that together, you go back to your cake acrostic. And the first one, curiosity, this is where that would play, right? Where you have to keep – if you're the one with more joy in your bucket or your bigger <laughs> joy bucket, you want that curiosity so you can help your spouse – um, yes. enlarge his or her joy bucket. That's right. And if I'm if I'm in a, a having a great day and my joy levels are really high and I see my wife, uh, her she's just not had a very good day, so those joy levels are not what they could be. You know what? I'm going to say, hey, honey, what what do you need right now? Like, you know what? Uh, I'm ready to go have some fun. I feel like we should, you know, go go out and do something fun. She's no, you know, I'm not in the mood. Okay, well, what would be meaningful for you right now? Like, what do you need? So curiosity is a very helpful invitation uh, for connection. Right. Now, you have another acrostic, plan is it, and uh, let's get into that because these are some of the practical ways to do what you just said, Chris. Yeah. And the first one I like, play together. Absolutely. And I think that helps build that bucket as we're talking. So aside from the obvious, how does a married couple learn to play together? Well, and you think about it uh, – Friendship is the foundation of a really good marriage. You want to be good friends. And if you're not playing together, are you really friends? You know, <laughs> because friends are tend to be people you would invite over to, to play and to do things together. And some of it's really simple stuff like making sure you take time to take walks now and then, uh, playing cards together, doing things that you both like, watching a movie but talking about it and interacting over it and not just – I mean, it's just – you're treating somebody like you're, they're a friend that you enjoy doing stuff with. Yeah. And so playing together is huge. You described that like eye smiles and date yes. night, getting uh, relational. I was, Jean and I were talking about this th this morning, and she said, you know, actually, I said it to her. You do eye smiles through the phone. When she answers the phone when I'm calling, mm -hmm. she's so upbeat. And I said to her, that is so good for me to hear. Yeah. When I call, she's, hello, how are you? I mean, it's just upbeat. 
So it's like a phone smile. It is. And you <laughs> know what? Smile, yeah. Joy is best grown visually and through voice tone. And so that's exactly right. You can hear it in the voice. Mm. Are you glad to be with me? And that's what our joy center and our joy bucket's always asking. Are you glad to be with me right now? And that so. leans into the next one, listen for emotion, the L of play. Right. What is that? And, and, you know, for us people that may not understand that clearly, give us some concrete examples. So going back to the right and left side of the brain, the left side of your brain naturally listens for problems, and the right side of your brain, in order to train it, needs to be trained to listen for emotions. So what happens in a lot of conversations that I have is as soon as I hear the problem, I quit listening because, oh, that's the problem. I can fix that. I'll let you finish whatever you're doing, but we'll circle back and <laughs> oh, fix the problem. Oh, that is such a right? big uh, landmine. Landmine. Yeah. But yeah. also, I mean, I, I relate to that. So uh, part of what we're uh, telling people in learning to listen for emotion is the idea that you listen for emotion first, and then you identify the emotion accurately and how big it is for that person. Now, you don't have to agree that they should be feeling it. You're just acknowledging that this is, in fact, how they're feeling. And that helps them feel seen, and it helps them feel understood. And now you can circle back and solve the problem. And you're going to do it from a relational foundation instead of skipping the relationship and going straight to the problem solving. And so where most of us make our mistakes in all kinds of relationships, whether it's leadership or parenting or marriage, is that we lead with problems in our conversations instead of, uh, you know, taking the time to listen for the emotion. All right. We got to move quickly. So that's the P and the L of play. Now, appreciate daily. That sounds like a no-brainer for us as Christians. It does. But a lot of us confuse gratitude with appreciation. And and that is, if I just say, well, thank you for doing that, that's almost a left-brain task, and I can check off my list. Appreciation is where I take the time to really uh, let them know how it made me feel, how it affected me, you know, how good this was. In other words, taking three, four, five minutes, you know, to let people know that this was really uh, uh, something I appreciated. Yeah. Chris, yeah. Uh, your wife, Jen, we got to get her in here. You yes. have a little story about you and Jen. What happened? Yeah. So when we were newlyweds, uh, we discovered something very important that at night when she tries to fall asleep, she has a very busy brain and she can't fall asleep. And I'm a light sleeper. So we discovered this was not making a very restful night for either of us. So uh, I was learning about all this brain research and I thought, you know, let's try an exercise here. So one night we decided while laying in bed, just cuddling, um, we shared three things from our day that that brought a smile. So three good moments, good things from our day could be very practical. Like, hey, you know, I really enjoyed watching the snowfall today. That was really meaningful. Then she does her three. And then I share three things I like about her. You know, I appreciate, honey, that when our friend came over uh, this evening, you your hospitality was amazing. I really like how warm and hospitable you are and how you make our home just a, a joyful place. So I'd share three things with examples. She would share three things. And it was this point in the exercise, I could physically just feel her body start to relax. Hmm. But there was one more step. And that was, what are three things that we appreciate about God? I might say, you know what? I really appreciate God giving me this opportunity to spend time with my friends today, that this has been such a meaningful visit. And you know what? I'm just thankful that God really values relationships. Uh, My three things, with examples, she shares her three things. It would take us 10 minutes to do this exercise. The nights that we did this exercise, Jen would fall asleep within 10 minutes of the exercise and have a wonderful night's rest. 
There's Very somebody practical. thinking, I'm just feeling it. Someone's thinking here in this right now, boy, three smile day. That's a good day. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Yes. All right. The N is nurture rhythm, and that's plan. That's the acrostic. Yeah. So who wants to speak to nurturing rhythm? Well, nurturing rhythm goes back to the idea that you have to have margin. You can't grow joy if there's no margin in your life. Wow, that can be the hardest thing, Marcus. Absolutely. And that's why you have to prioritize so that we have some practical ways that even busy people can grow some margin. For example, making your bedroom a problem-free zone. <laughs> like once we go to bed. Amen. Yeah. When, it's like when you go to bed at night, it's, for a lot of married couples, what we've found is, it be, is the bedroom is the boardroom. Yeah. Jean has been awesome at that. I mean, early on in our marriage, I think she was far more uh, – she's a night person. Okay. And this can play into that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, where she's energized and ready to conquer the world at about 10, 11 yeah. o'clock at night. <laughs> I don't know where the world is. <laughs> you know, my eyelids are shut. But you have to learn to do that, right? To, you do. To, uh, where's that rhythm for you as a couple? It is. And so establishing a rhythm of uh, marking out our calendar. When are we going to have our breaks to have play dates together? When are we going to have our – weekends, but also creating a rhythm in your day that says, uh, this is when we're going to be together, Mm -hmm. knowing that I've got relational things to look forward to. Okay, we have covered a ton of territory very quickly, and folks need to get a copy of this book, obviously, but I'm thinking for tonight, you know, as a couple is listening to this going, ah, we've got a joy gap. Let's just go back to that very first thing we identified. Mm -hmm. What's one thing they can do today that they can work on to close that gap? You know what I would have them do? Um, one of the exercises is just, you know, sharing those qualities that you appreciate about your spouse with while you cuddle. That while three you and three. Hands. I like that. You know what? That's a very simple exercise. And all of the exercises in the book always close with quiet and rest. So do the appreciation exercise. It's fun. It's meaningful. It's life-giving. Spend about five minutes just resting as you hold each other. The, the bonding hormone oxytocin increases while we hold our spouse. So just a couple minutes of holding each other, you feel very close, bonded, peaceful, and joyful. Yeah, it's good. It'll definitely turn your circuits back mm, on. Yes. And that's the point, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Marcus and Chris, this has been good. Gene was right. This is great content. <laughs> and I hope folks will get a copy of your book, The Four Habits of Joy-Filled Marriages, uh, right here at Focus. Again, this is what we're trying to do is equip you to not have just that mediocre relationship. Let's, as Christians, Model what marriage can look like so that others, especially those that don't know the Lord, can look at your relationship and say, what What do you have that's so different? Wouldn't that be terrific? Yes. And we can have that. And this is one of the ways. Uh, learn these great habits, mm-hmm. and uh, I think your marriage will change. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're talking to those who have you know, just the regular uh, bumps-in-the-road kind of marriage, not where you're in an extremely bad place. Uh, there's different things for you to do in that regard, and you can call us for that help as well. Mm -hmm. But um, send a gift of any amount, and we'll send the book, uh, The Four Habits of a Joy-Filled Marriage, to say thank you for being a partner in the marriage. And if you can't afford it, I mean, we'll get it into your hands. We'll trust that others will cover the cost of that. So get a hold of us, because your marriage is what we care about. We're a phone call away, and that number is 800-232-6459. 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Marcus and Chris, thanks again for being with us. Great stuff. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's been a lot of fun. Yep, we've enjoyed ourselves. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here at Focus on the Family, thanks for joining us today. 
And be sure to be with us next time as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break here and then return with another faith-building program for your family. Stay tuned. As a parent, it's easy to find myself sitting backseat to my kids in the back seat. It's tough to be a step ahead. In full honesty, I'm pretty hard on myself when that happens. But I've found Practice Makes Parent, a podcast from Focus on the Family, hosted by Dr. Danny Huerta and Rebecca St. James. It helps me be more intentional and not feel alone when things get tough. Everything they share is practical and well-practiced, and I can use it right away. Listen to Practice Makes Parent wherever you get your podcasts. always understand what the kids are saying or why they act the way they do. Mom says it's because God made everyone unique. We all give Him glory in different ways. If we look closely, we can learn a bit about God through each one of them. Well, that's a rather profound statement, and it comes from a children's book called Like Me, a story about disability and discovering God's image in every person. And today on Focus on the Family, we'll hear more about children with special needs and the families who love them and care for them. Thanks for joining us. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, this is one of those programs where we want to give you a peek behind the curtain of what life looks like for families who navigate disabilities and differences and a unique uh, kind of normal that most of us don't encounter. Uh, First of all, having a child with special needs is more common than most of us realize. I think it's uh, 20%, roughly one in five households. Uh, care for a child that has unique needs. And it's likely you probably know a family. If you don't know them directly and know what they're dealing with, you know a family that does have a child in that category. Uh, Tragically, one of the biggest challenges these families face is feeling welcome or accepted by other people, other families. Parents of children with special needs often have a keen awareness of how their child might feel excluded because of their disability. And I think the best thing is to hit it directly and encourage those families that uh, can encourage them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we're seeing a lot of good opportunities for inclusion of kids who are different. Uh, I was just reading an article about a school that the parents couldn't find what they needed in one school, but there were other options. And so uh, the field is growing. Well, schools today offer such a plethora of services, uh, unlike when I went to school. <laughs> it yeah. was it was basically the basics and do it or you're out of there, mm-hmm. right? Um, today, John, the parable of the great banquet that Jesus shared in Luke 14, where he said, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, Mm -hmm. the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. It's interesting that the Lord himself pointed this out to engage people that maybe don't have all the physical or mental assets that other people have. And if you do it, he himself, the Lord himself, said you're going to be blessed. Mm -hmm. Well, we have two great guests today. Uh, Both are authors and speakers and podcast hosts. Laura Wiffler is the co-founder and executive director of Risen Motherhood, which is an organization dedicated to helping moms raise kids with a godly foundation. And she wrote the book I mentioned, Like Me, a story about disability and discovering God's image in every person. And our own Erin Smalley is also with us. Uh, She and her husband, Greg, lead the marriage team here at the ministry, and Erin is a licensed counselor as well. Welcome to both of you. 
Mm, thanks for having us. Yeah, it's a joy to be here. And Laura, it's your first time, so we appreciate you making the effort to be in here. Uh, let's start with you, um, your daughter, Eden. Describe Eden for us and tell us about the day when she was diagnosed. Of course, yeah. So Eden is my youngest daughter. She is now six years old, and she's basically sunshine in a bottle. She is pure joy. <laughs> oh, she's so great. much fun, lots of energy and yeah. determination. Um, and she was diagnosed about six years ago when she was two months old. Uh, at the time, we knew maybe some things were a little bit different after birth, but we weren't quite sure. And I have two older, regularly developing children. So just as a mom, I kind of knew, hey, this doesn't feel exactly huh. the same as it was for my other children. So um, as kind of my instinct took over, um, we pushed for genetic testing. And we did that. And it came back uh, saying that she has a genetic disease called rare chromosome disorder. And essentially what that is, is just that uh, there is a mutation or a change in her chromosomes that cause global developmental delays. So at the time, the doctors told us, well, we don't really know, you know what her future holds because she was actually incredibly unique. She's the only one in the world that they know of with her diagnosis. Oh so they said, yeah, we'll look at other cases that are similar and that's we'll just try to predict for you. And so they told us that she would likely never walk and that she would likely never talk. Mm. Um, so as you can imagine, that's a really difficult diagnosis sure. to get for your child. And yet they said, we can be hopeful that it might be different for her. So we enrolled her in lots of therapies. And over the years, I am just so happy to say that she does walk. Um, she also does talk and she is growing in those skills every day. She still needs assistance and help as in, in therapies, but uh, she's doing really, really well. That's good. So. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that kind of lays the groundwork for the questions that we're going to ask you. Uh, Aaron, in that same regard, uh, you and Greg, by the way, you're doing such a fantastic job with mm. the marriage outreach here at oh, Focus. I'm so proud you. that you guys are here and doing great work. Oh, I mean, it's amazing, the marriages that are being saved. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you look at this issue, particularly those couples end up mm -hmm. with a lot of stress. And that yes. wasn't the question I was going to ask you. It just dawned on yeah. me because yeah. the divorce rate can be really high mm -hmm. with a special needs child. So maybe you could work that into your answer here. Yes. But uh, you adopted Annie. Yes. And how old was Annie when she was adopted? And where was she adopted from? Yes. Annie was two weeks before her third birthday. We adopted her from China. And she was born with a condition called amniotic band syndrome, which is where there's a tear in the amniotic sac when she was in utero. And those bands come out and they wrap around the fetus. So what it caused for Annie was cleft lip and palate. Um, a limb difference on her left hand, and then she had club foot. So she had multiple physical challenges. There are no cognitive delays, but when we adopted her, she had already had multiple surgeries. And over the years, she's continued to have multiple surgeries. So she just had her 15th surgery on July 20th of this year. And she's how old now? She is 16. Yeah. And turned 16 three days after having a pretty major surgery. Right. And um, so that has been challenging. And she is amazing. Mm -hmm. I love hearing about Eden mm -hmm. because Annie is this little spitfire and loves life and loves people and loves Jesus so yeah. much. <laughs> That's so good. And I've had the 
privilege of interacting with her. She's a delightful young lady. Oh, thank I mean, you. that's what's so fun to see. And yeah. You guys have done a, done a terrific job oh, encouraging you, her. Jim. And she engages and she just goes for it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> she will be at church and she'll see someone crying that she does not know. Mm-hmm. And she will walk up to mm-hmm. them and rub their back and comfort them and pray for them. I'm like, do you know who that is? No. I just saw they were hurting, so I thought I would help them. Yeah, because she <laughs> so knows what it means She knows hurt. what it means. Let's uh, talk to the biblical reference. And I don't mean this to be controversial or anything like mm-hmm. that, but um, suffering does produce fruit. Uh, it's pretty clear in the Scripture. And Jesus encourages us through that suffering. I think we learn humility there. But I think there's something spiritually beneficial to suffering. How would you apply that uh, with both of your situations as a family and then seeing your daughters? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would completely agree that there has been so much sanctification that's gone on in my life. And I can point directly back to disabilities being one of the tools that God used to shape and change and form me into his character. And I could list probably thousands of reasons if I really sat down and started to think through the ways Mm. that it has formed me. But perhaps for today, you know, one of the things that comes to mind is just the development of compassion in my life Mm. and my ability, kind of like what you were saying of like seeing someone who's hurting and having a generous spirit towards that. Um, I think there's an element, especially in motherhood or parenting, that we can start to feel, um, we can feel judgmental of other parents or we can sort of impose what we think they should do. And, you know, I have two regular developing children that I was like a pretty decent parent with, or I felt, you know, I could feel pretty, like you were saying, yeah, yeah, Yeah. yeah. aren't I good? Exactly. (laughs) And it's, you know, I was set up for success. And, (laughs) and then I had my youngest daughter who brings in a lot of challenges and a lot of different behavioral differences and things. And it just has really challenged me in my patience. Yeah. And in just my ability to remain calm, to um, not care what other people think as much. I have been surprised at the things that I have let go or said, hey, these aren't important at the end of the day, you know, and it, and her behavior isn't as much a reflection of me as a parent. So I don't place so much on my children anymore um, because I'm trusting God for my identity rather than my children. And so a lot of those things have been really reformed through disabilities in my life and just um, seeing it in my whole family, but specifically in my heart. I yeah. feel like God has just really taught me who to trust. Let me ask you, um, and I'm putting you on the spot, sure. you know, we didn't talk about this, but <laughs> when the diagnosis came just to give the the other four out of five families some picture of this and and i know we may have mentioned this later but we all have deficits some may be physical some may be mental some emotional some spiritual take us through your emotions like diagnosis day Mm -hmm. and feeling like okay what happened here what would be those adjectives that you would Mm -hmm. use like stunned or whatever it might have been yeah Well, to be honest, in the hospital room, there were, I don't know, maybe seven different doctors, counselors. They brought in a whole team of people, you know, and you know, something bad happened. They they didn't tell me me over the phone. So I know this is going to be a big bomb that they're going to drop. And I was holding my daughter and my husband was there and there's all these people around. And in the the moment, I remember being stunned. I remember being shocked. I remember looking at this piece of paper that they gave me with all these potential issues and then looking at my little daughter in this peony blanket and thinking, these don't compute for me. Mm-hmm. You know, this doesn't add up. And there wasn't a lot in the moment that I felt besides shock. 
But I remember going home that night and, you know, life went on like normal. My kids all needed to be put to bed. I needed to wash the dishes. They needed to eat. And I remember standing at the kitchen sink, the the suds like up to my elbows, and just for the first moment feeling just this deep wave of sorrow and just such sadness and grief. And just, I mean, I, I can go back there. I mean, I you can, can see, see the tears it. in my eyes. I yeah. can go back there very easily because it is so, it still can feel raw at times. And then as the days went on, it vacillated between joy and trust and saying, I'm so glad that I have a God to lean on, but also such sorrow and even anger at times. Mm-hmm. Why? Why us? Why her? Why my child out of all the children? Why, you know, you start to ask those questions. You start to ask did I do something wrong? Especially when it's genetic, you can kind of feel like, well, maybe it's my fault. And we worked through all of those things and and it takes years. I would encourage any parent who's going through diagnosis to allow it to take time Mm. to heal. And even still, there will be moments where I'll be surprised by this feeling of sorrow and sadness that comes up. And yet there's been sort of a continual, a a tenor or a thrum to my journey that I can look back and say, but yet God has held me and Mm -hmm. he has kept me. And, and there is, there's, I want to, I can't wait till we talk about the joy up ahead of heaven that all parents with children with disabilities get to look forward to. And, and that has really, I've clung to that. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's a sure foundation. That's, I mean, it's encouraging. And I think, you know, depending upon where a person, where a family is in that process, yeah. You're still maybe in that raw spot. Yeah, and, and that's uh, okay. You know, yeah, I think it's I like important that, encouragement that we allow to just that. keep moving forward. But I think I think again, we're here on this earth to learn something, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is the purpose. And the Lord is saying, in my opinion, it's to become selfless in marriage, selfless in parenting, draw mm-hmm. closer to him. And the irony is it's the tough things in life that mm-hmm. typically move us there more quickly, not the goodies. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's hard for us to recognize that because we're so Mm me-oriented. This is Focus on the Family with Jim Daly, and today we're talking with Aaron Smalley and Laura Wiffler and uh, uh, kids with differences, kids with special needs, and uh, the families who love them. Uh, We love our kids. Uh, If you're finding encouragement here, let me uh, suggest you get this book by Laura called Like Me, A Story About Disability and Discovering God's Image in Every Person. It's a terrific uh, kid's book, but you go through that with your child, um, whether your child has a disability or not. Mm-hmm. There will be uh, some bonding, I think, over the characters in this story. Uh, stop by the website to get a copy. Uh, that's focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast, or call 800, the letter A, and the word family. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Here's a new way to celebrate life. Create a baby quilt. As our thanks with a gift of any amount, Focus on the Family will send you an easy-to-make happy baby quilt kit. It contains everything you need, except the batting, for a quilt and extra blocks and border for other projects. Put it together and give it as a gift. Or donate it to a local pregnancy medical center. Bless a mom with a baby quilt that you create. Find details at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash quilt. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash quilt. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. 
We mentioned that stat, one in five families experience this situation. For the four out of five, what do you say to those families to encourage them to engage? Everybody wants to be known. Everybody wants relationship. We're wired for it. That's how God built us, including these children and their families. So what advice do you both have for families that may not be dealing with this to engage a family that is? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I think... Um, there are a lot of great ways. Even if you don't have someone who's really close to you that has a person with disabilities in their family, I think something that is really incredible about living in the age that we do is that disabilities are represented all over the place. So you can find them in media, you can find them in books, you can find it just at the grocery store even. And I think some of it is just us having eyes to see. And so as parents, I think when we are out and about, maybe it's um, your child does make a comment about, hey, you know, what's what's that? You know, that's very common for young children in particular to say like, what's that about a walker or about a wheelchair? Right. And as parents, I think we can immediately kind of be like, shh, and want, want to hush them and because mm-hmm. we feel like, oh, we don't want to be rude or offensive. But actually what we're doing in that moment is showing that, hey, maybe disabilities aren't a good thing. Maybe disabilities are right, something we don't that talk about we it. don't talk about. <laughs> and your child reads that as that's yeah. that's not something that I should bring up anymore. And instead, as parents, we can say, that's a wheelchair that gives them freedom to go where they want to go or you can even say you know honey i'm not exactly sure but i think it's helping that person out with maybe a disability and then go in the car later google it you know learn the term we don't always know the terms for disabilities there's there's a whole world that you know if you're in disabilities you know how to talk about it but if you're not I think sometimes that's where people become nervous about disabilities is because they don't want to get it wrong. They don't want to say a word that might be offensive. They don't want to um, sound silly because it kind of feels like it's about it's a reflection on them. But instead, I think we can show a lot of um, growth to our children by us starting with with. Uh, allowing our child to reflect the way that we receive it. So warm smiles, leaning in, showing that disabilities is just a part of life. It's not something that we tamper down or push away or avoid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about you, Erin? Well, I was talking to Annie yesterday, and I said, what is that like, you know, when – because people stare. Right. And I always have tried to frame it. They're just curious. They're just trying to see – like, I see your hand is different. And she said yesterday, I just wish they would say something. I wish when they're staring at my hand – I know what they're staring at. And sometimes now she will offer – but she just she said, I just wish they would say, like, hey, I noticed your hand. And she would be happy to tell them, well, I was born with amniotic band syndrome, and this is my hand. Funny, when kids are little, though, she would have kids look at her and go, I don't believe you. Oh, <laughs> and she'd be like, like no, I was born like this. And Nothing like a seven-year-old yeah. physician. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but a social worker, Annie, told that story at, like, age seven. And the social worker said, well, then you look at them and you say, this conversation is over. <laughs> wow, that's adult life, right? So she has had lots of practice of how to respond. Yeah. Laura, let me ask you this other data point. And in some ways, I think a person could read this in a negative light. I kind of saw it in a more positive light with room to grow. But the data point is that one in three uh, families with special needs don't feel supported by their local church. Mm-hmm. Now, I just want to say that means two in three do. Yeah. And that's the positive side yeah. of it. But there is room to grow because mm-hmm. you would want everybody to feel that support. Mm-hmm. Where does it get a little clunky within the church and where might we improve? Mm-hmm. And what are the things that 
churches are doing well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a wonderful question. And I think that it, it's also very difficult to talk about at such a high level because it is so individual with different churches. And yet, I think the general encouragement for churches would be to move beyond just ADA regulations. I think sometimes... Get the ramp. Yeah, right. We're going to get the elevator, the ramp, and the parking stalls, and like, check, we are now disability friendly. And especially for families and, and people with disabilities themselves, that doesn't quite go far enough. You know, I think that there is an element of being a welcoming space. And some churches are going to have programs for people with disabilities and children with disabilities. Some churches are not going to be able to do that due to budget and staffing Mm -hmm. and lots of many good reasons. And so my biggest encouragement for churches is to just have someone who is on point with eyes to see that Mm -hmm. can go up to a family or an individual with disabilities and just say, hey, I noticed you're new here. I noticed that you guys might have different requirements. How can we make your time successful at our church? Mm. And that question can be answered in a lot of ways, and some won't be attainable for the church, right? Some families will want special rooms or a singular aid. And I've talked with so many families who say, we're trying to make this work. What can we do? And you know, I think there's an element of pursuing unity, like Paul talks about, yeah. of saying, first and foremost, we want this child to be safe. We want you to feel welcome. We want to pursue unity. But also, here's what's possible with our church and the budget and the staffing that we have. And and allow, though, the church to come around, because I think you'd be surprised with the number of people who say, well, I'm willing to be an aide. I'm mm-hmm. willing to help or I'm willing to teach in this different way. And yet we can also trust that God is moving and working. And even when we are not using special curriculums or maybe don't have special spaces, that God's word is powerful enough to even reach that child's heart with a disability. Mm. Yeah, and that is mm. so good. I would encourage a pastor to talk about it from time Absolutely. to time. Yeah. Just talk about here's, it from the pulpit. Here's what we need to be and kind of burst that yes. bubble yes. so mm-hmm. nobody is afraid yeah, or to even engage. Hosting yeah, a just say, course or a training class. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that those yes. are very underrated. I know on the foster side, uh, churches in Florida, we learned we're doing such a great job. Some of those churches uh, were assigning a volunteer to meet the family at the yeah, door. I love that. And they would go with the child and be with the child in yeah. Sunday school awesome. and then reunite the child and sit in the class yeah, with awesome. that child. Yeah, my daughter Think of has that an in aid. the special needs context. If mm-hmm. you had a volunteer at church who mm-hmm. met the family at the door, yeah. took uh, the child in and gave a break to the yeah. parents mm-hmm. to worship and do yeah. the things they need to do. That'd be a good thing to do. Absolutely. And I also think that we need to support the marriage, the, yes, the parents in their marriage. That. And how do we best do that as a church, you know, providing um, help when we have a marriage seminar that those parents can go or respite care, just being available to support them so they can focus on their marriage. Mm-hmm. So important. You know, um, right at the end here, it flew by. That's a good sign that it was a great <laughs> conversation. I hope people listening believe that, too. Boy, just really uh, understanding that God's in control of all things. I would think these families, and you've lived it, so correct me if I'm wrong. In the beginning, you doubt that wholly. You know, God's really in control. Yeah. Is he looking at our life right now? And and that's okay. God's big enough to take it. Um, how do you maintain your faith in God as you move through this process and believe in his goodness Uh, despite your present reality. And let me just say, this is good advice for all of us, Mm -hmm. not just those that may have a disability or a family with a disability. You know, for me, I mentioned this a bit earlier, but the hope of heaven has been vital to my faith in God throughout this journey. And I think what is so key here is that heaven is real, and that is not 
a small statement. What is that hope that you have? Yeah, it's the fact that we live in light of redemption of the gospel, that I know that Christ died for me and that he gave his life up for me and he gave his life up for my daughter and that someday I'm going to be reunited with him in heaven. And that Revelation talks about God wiping every tear from our eyes. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears. And that is a beautiful picture that I cling to of saying, okay, this life, if it's, you know, if I'm, I'm going 40, 50, 60 more years, maybe with where I'm at, that is just a blip on the radar yeah. of the beauty of heaven and eternity and spending of my God there. And so I can do a lot here and now. And my goal in life, like you said earlier, is to be sanctified. It's to grow more and more like Christ, to become more like him every day. And if this is what he chooses for me to grow like him, I want to receive that. I want to mm-hmm. I want to say, yes, Lord, I receive this because this is preparing me for glory. Yeah. And that kind of hope, knowing that heaven waits for me, it has just been so integral, I think, for me being able to say, so I can go one more day here. Yeah. I can have one more day of being sanctified, one more day of being patient, one more day of loving my daughter, even when things are hard, one more day of trusting God, even when I'm not really sure, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I can... I can have an overarching trust that knows that he has a plan and he's sovereign. And the thing uh, for families that aren't uh, dealing with this kind of situation, I think we think of heaven and we'll be together and we'll be doing the things that you do in heaven. But for you, both of you and everyone you represent, think of Eden in heaven. So she's running and she's not gibberish now. She's speaking words of truth and she's Mm -hmm. completely whole. and and Mm -hmm. living eternity. It's a real unique hope for anyone who has a disability or has a disease or sickness to know that full healing is coming. Yeah, completion. Yes, and Annie said yesterday, um, as she was reflecting on her surgery, she said, you know, God prepared me. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know she was thinking about this. She said, you know, 14 surgeries before this 15th one, and huh. he used each one of those to prepare me because he knew how bad this one was going to be. Mm-hmm. And But I know that he prepared me and he gave me the strength. He didn't just prepare me physically. He prepared me emotionally and spiritually wow. and mentally. And I thought, you know what, Annie, you have no idea mm-hmm. all that he is preparing you for mm-hmm. because he is not going to waste one ounce of your pain, of your differences, of who you are, because he equipped you exactly the way he wanted you, and he is not going to waste it. He will use it. And I I just sat there smiling, thinking, I just can't wait to see what God has for you as a young woman, as an adult, and all that he's going to do in and through you. Yeah, that is so good. And Annie and Eden are blessed to have you two as moms, man, Mm -hmm. and all the moms out there that are doing a big job, and hopefully dads too, like you, John. (laughs) So appreciate that. And uh, man, this has been so good. It has flown by. But we want to encourage you. Let's get you started with a copy of uh, Laura's wonderful book, Like Me, and you can get in touch with the ministry. And as we normally do, if you can make a gift to be part of the ministry, we'll send it as our way of saying thank you. If you can't afford it, this is important. We want you to have this in your home so you could be reading it. I was thinking of a book I used to read to the boys. I think I read it maybe 250 times to them. Um, Something about the moon, I can't remember. But I mean... Yeah, this is a much better book in that regard, and uh, we just want to get it into your hands. So get in touch with us, and let's do ministry together, and let's put a great resource into your hands. Yeah, we're listener-supported, viewer-supported for uh, our YouTube viewers. Uh, Make a donation today as you can and request that book, Like Me. Uh, We've got all the details at our website. That's focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast, or call us. You can donate and uh, get that book uh, when you call 800, the letter A, and the word family. 
And if you're struggling, if maybe you're one of those uh, people who don't feel supported by a church, you feel all alone in what this journey is, um, give us a call. We have Caring Christian Counselors. Our donors make that possible. They'll connect with you. They'll hear you out. They'll offer resources, and they can point you to somebody in your local area if you have an ongoing need for that. Again, those counselors can be reached by calling the phone number or uh, stop by the website. Again, Laura and Aaron, thanks for being with us. This has been really good. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, glad to be here. Hmm. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. Is your marriage holding on by a thread? For deep hurt, you need deep healing that only comes from the Lord. And you'll find it at a Focus on the Family Hope Restored Intensive in Michigan. Our licensed Christian counselors will help you and your spouse get to the root of your issues in just three to five days. And it works. 80% of the couples are still married two years after attending. Learn more at HopeRestored.com and talk with a trusted advisor. That's HopeRestored.com.